Well, good morning. So good to see you all today on this snowy day. Thanks for making it well once again. Beautiful to see child dedication today here in the auditorium. I know they had a child dedication in the venue as well, though, this morning. Welcome to everyone in the venue. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. As has been noted already, we are finishing up our series, Unstuck, Overcoming Life's Obstacles That Tend to Pin Us Down with the Help of Christ. And um, I hope it has been a beneficial series for you. It certainly has been for me. It's been said in this room already, don't know if it's been said in the venue though this morning, but really what we're after in this church is building a transformational community. What we're after is transformation. And we believe that Christ actually can transform us Sometimes, miraculously in a, moment, in a moment, but oftentimes what happens, and it's still a miracle when it does happen, is he begins something in us, and then he continues to change us little bit by little bit over time, across many months or sometimes over many years. And I, I just want to encourage you with that as we do a little bit of review though this morning and then jump into our final message. I'm, I'm going to review where we've been, but... Uh, you're going to look up at this bus here, and you're going to see this summary of where we've been, and you might say like, man, I'm still struggling with a number of those. Join the crowd, okay? This is the nature of change. I just want to speak for a moment about the nature of change. It doesn't happen all at once. I remember when I became a Christian as a young man, there were about five or six character traits that needed to change in me. But God in his mercy worked on me one at a time. And that's the nature of change. As you move the ball down the, the, the field, just one issue at a time, across many months or even many years, and slowly and gradually, God is relentless to keep on working with you such that you would change. And so if you're looking for transformation in an area that we've been talking about over these months, I, I pray that you be patient with yourself. God is patient with you. He knows right where you are, and so you could identify two or three of these. You say, I, I need to address that. Start with just one, as we've begun over these past six weeks. So let's just review a little bit of where we've been. We started week one with the scourge of apathy, and we talked about how this has become such a scourge in our culture this laziness that I really don't care about what's going on in my own soul, let alone what's going on in other people's lives, emotionally or physically, we sometimes just don't care. And so we talked about the importance of building spiritual habits and living for a greater purpose. Then we went on to the thief of comparison. And comparison is such a thief because it always ends up either sizing us up or down and it robs our joy and it steals what rightly belongs to God, which is his role as judge. And we don't make very good judges, do we? And so we just say together, we are more than enough in Christ and we live in that. We talk about the ache of loneliness and the fact that we are made to live in community. That's why we talk as much as we do here about life groups and our various small groups though, that you can get in. Because community is the context for life change. And all of us need not just a pastor, we need friends. We need a handful of friends who are with us on the journey that are marching in the same direction and that are spiritually safe to march with as we are all in progress. Then we looked at lusts that, that fracture us. Excuse me, lusts that fracture us. And um, there's no temptation that comes to any of us that's not common to all of us. And so there's various lusts that have a way of fracturing us, and yet, in Christ, we know that we can be healed 
and we can be filled again. No matter what it is that might have fractured you in the past or in the present, you can be healed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be overcomers yet again today. We noted the poison of bitterness is so intense for many. The poison of unforgiveness and bitterness its that thing that tends to live rent-free in our minds if we're not careful. And so we go back again and again to the truth that we've been forgiven far more than we will ever forgive anyone. Amen? We've been forgiven far more than we will ever forgive anyone. And so we receive that forgiveness from Jesus again and again and again. And as we do, we have some to give to others. And then doubts and fears that cripple led us last week. Doubts and fears that have a way of crippling our lives, crippling us spiritually, can come to all of us. And we remind ourselves that a necessary fear of God releases us from unnecessary fears of people. And if we have a proper fear of God, and we breathe in the love of God, and we bite off that elephant one small bite at a time, we can overcome those fears that have a way of conquering us. And truth be told, we can be more than conquerors, which is what I want for you, which is what I want for me. That's what we're praying for. And, you know, it's, it's just been so encouraging throughout this series to hear from people who have taken these steps, and many people have given their lives to Christ in the series A number of people had made major life decisions to do something differently as a result of this, and and perhaps that'll be the case for us even today as well. Today we're going to be talking about overcoming labels that shame, overcoming labels that shame us. A a label is uh, something that we wear. Here's a simple definition of a label. It's a summary of who a person is especially one that holds that person back. It's a summary of who you are, especially one that holds you back. It's beyond just a description of uh, something that you do, some behavior. It's a summary of who a person is. And in that way, labels can oftentimes be shaming for us. I asked a number of people over these past weeks, a number of my family and friends from different stages in life, as well as a number of co-workers, if they were to describe themselves with three words, with three labels, what words would they give to describe themselves? If you were to describe yourself with three words, what words would you give to describe yourself? Many co-workers and friends and family replied to my email with, get out of my way, Adrian, I'm not answering your silly question. No, they they didn't do that. Maybe that's what they thought. Um, But they answered the question, and it was so revealing. One said, I'm an implementer and a stoic Swede and a stud golfer. Kent Sundberg wishes. (laughs) Another said, I'm hardworking. I'm passionate. Another one said, I'm loud. My mom used the words persevering and empathic. My mom's like a walking thesaurus. Had to look those words up. What does empathic mean? But certainly it's this sensitivity, this warmth that you can know that she's present with you and that describes my mother well. One friend uh, responded this way, I'm third string. I'm third string. Another said, I'm enduring. One family member said, I'm disciplined. 
And another family member said, I am creative. Yet others said, I am kind of lonely these days. Several said that. One said, I'm misunderstood. A number of people said, I'm fearful or I'm anxious. Sometimes I heard labels fall from people that had to do with their sports teams or had to do with the apparel they like to wear or the digital equipment that they like to use. Those things tend to be a little bit more of like superficial labels and we all have some of those. Other times, yeah, you hear good labels like mother or father or husband or businessman or professor or teacher, whatever it might be, any number of good labels that we might take on as well, smart or athletic. But oftentimes, I also heard these labels that were kind of shaming, not good enough, never say it quite right, ugly, kind of stupid. One friend sent me this note and gave me permission to share. My label was quiet and skinny. It seems silly now, but there was a time in my life when the skinny label caused me so much distress. Every time someone would verbally and non-verbally bring up my size, which was actually quite often, I took it as, there is something fundamentally wrong with me. What labels would you use to describe yourself? Like it or not, the labels that we use communicate a sense of value about who we are. And at their best, they can communicate a good sense of value. At their very worst, they are so dangerous because they communicate shame, don't they? Labels at their very worst communicate shame. The thing that's so powerful about labels, both for now and for the future, is Labels can describe your present, but the longer you hold on to them, the more they begin to define your future as well. Let me say it again. Labels are powerful for describing your present, but the longer you hold on to them, the more they stick to you and they actually begin to define your future as well. Let me give you a couple examples. There's a number of academic studies that demonstrate if a teacher learns that a child has low IQ... And that child learns that he has low IQ. And that child is labeled as slow. Just by virtue of that label, on average, I know this isn't the case in Cardi Public Schools, but on average, what will happen is the teacher begins treating that child differently on the basis of that label. And that child begins thinking of himself differently on the basis of that label. And they start achieving at a lower level. Numerous academic studies to demonstrate that. The same thing is true about those kids that are labeled advanced. The teacher treats them differently, the child thinks of themselves differently, and they achieve, they they begin to achieve at a different level. The same thing has even been true in the area of criminology. That if you label someone a criminal, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy that they begin to live into that label. This is all people think of me as. The power of labels is intense. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we have to be very, very careful with all that that I just said about the words that we throw out and toss around about other people. Now, the good news for us is this. Whatever labels we might be holding on to today, you can indeed be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. You can be an overcomer. 
You can live life to the fullest, as we've been talking about these past weeks, through Jesus Christ who loves you. I'm going to talk about a theological passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Open there with me. 2 Corinthians 5 is just a glorious, glorious passage. It's deep, but we're going to dig into it a bit though this morning. I think it will be really, really helpful for you. If you have your Bible, open up to, to, to that with me. You go over from Acts to Romans to 1 and 2 Corinthians. If you go to Galatians or Ephesians, you've gone a little bit too far. Turn back to the left. Are we opening up our Bibles? I love it when I hear pages turning. Okay, humor me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it is a glorious passage. Listen with me to the word of God. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. That those who go on living would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised to new life again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors. We're God's ambassadors. As though Christ himself were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for you and for me in order that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for giving your son Jesus. We thank you that we now get to live for him and through him and you have given us this ministry of reconciliation And we ask, God, that you would begin to change our perspectives even this morning. Some of us are looking at ourselves. Some of us are looking at other people from a worldly point of view. And so we ask, God, that you begin to change that. Begin to work in us. For those who are holding on to labels that shame us, would you begin to change us from the inside out? We avail ourselves to you this morning asking, God, though, that you would work in our hearts Do a mighty work in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. I don't know about you, I'm just fascinated with this idea in verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Hmm, interesting. What does that mean? To regard no one from a worldly point of view. I think it's this, it's, it's the people that we meet, it's thinking of ourselves from a heavenly perspective, beginning to think of ourselves the way Jesus thinks of us, beginning to think of other people the way Jesus thinks of other people, which namely will be minus the labels, minus the masks, minus the natural human worldly tendency that we all have 
to size people up and then put people down. Minus all of that. Because that is characterizing people, thinking of people, regarding people according to a worldly point of view. I saw this in a great illustration in a TV program about a year or two ago. Uh, Susie and I were watching a program called The Crown on Netflix. Anyone watch that, The Crown? Raise your hand if you did. Susie and I watched the first uh, season of that. Toward the end of it, we started to lose a little bit of interest. But we got through, I think, most of it, almost every episode. And there's one point about halfway through the first season in which um, this, this woman, uh, Queen Elizabeth, first is just um, Elizabeth of Windsor. She's a simple, intelligent, but really quite ordinary young woman who is exalted to this incredible role now as queen over the British Empire, the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And about a year later, she's starting to get her legs in this new role as queen, but she's about to get onto a plane to go visit the various British colonies for the very first time, and she is trembling in her boots at the reality that she is wearing this crown on her head, and she doesn't really feel equal to the task. And Prime Minister Winston Churchill in this scene takes her aside and gives her a number of different instructions as she gets onto the plane and as she goes to visit these various colonies. And he says to her, most importantly, never let them see the real Elizabeth Windsor. Let me say that again. Never let them see the real Elizabeth Windsor. The cameras, the TV... Never let them see that carrying the crown is often a burden. Now, with all due respect to a great man, Winston Churchill, and with all due respect to the office of queen, that's hogwash. Okay, that's regarding people from a worldly point of view. Never let them see anything other than the mask. That's what he's saying. Never let them see anything other than the label. And tragically, many of us have been taught to live that way. Now, obviously, the label of queen was a good label for her. But here's my point if you're taking notes this morning. Even a good label, even a really good label, if it becomes your main label, will cease to be a good label anymore. Even a really good label, if it becomes your main label, will cease to be a good label anymore. What she was wrestling with in that scene, and what she continued to wrestle with, and what so many of us wrestle with is this idea, okay, here's my label, I am a queen, it's a good label, but the burden of the crown is so incredibly heavy, it feels like I have a ball and chain around my foot. And for people to only be seeing me as this, and I can't be myself, That good label became the main label and it ceased to be good anymore. We all have a number of good labels, don't we? Like you have a label of father or husband or wife or businessman, businesswoman, professor, teacher, pastor, whatever it might be, you have good labels. You're smart, you're athletic, you're kind. Those are all wonderful and very good labels. But please hear me, if those good labels become the main label, they cease to be good anymore. Like, if your main label is mom, what happens when your kids disappoint you? If your main label is grandma, what happens when the grandkids disappoint you? 
Well, not only are you disappointed, but it goes to the very core of your identity. So the core of you is flustered. Moreover, they will not be able to stand up under the weight of having to hold your label. You hear what I'm saying? If your label is athlete, then what happens when you're not an athlete anymore? I went through that. Crushed my identity. If you're living vicariously through your kids and their label as athletes, that's too heavy for them to bear. It becomes a main label which ceases to be good anymore. What you are has got to be way more important than what you do. To hold the weight of the pressures of life, we need to be identified with a heavenly perspective in the way that Jesus sees us, which is this. We are made in the image and likeness of God, and yes, all of us have failed. All of us have fallen short of what God expects of us, but still he sent his son down to earth for us. And so we see people that way, that this is one made in the image and likeness of God, and so worthy to God that he gave his son for this one too. Each and every one. Read verse 16 aloud from the screen with me. It's so countercultural. Would you please read it out loud with me both here and in the venue. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's people with souls that we laugh at. It's people with souls that we spite and we label. People with souls that we look at from a worldly point of view. But instead, if we look at people not so much based on their behaviors, their good ideas, their bad ideas, their sexuality, their race, their whatever, their political affiliation, any of those things, but we see people first and foremost from a heavenly perspective, this one is one that Jesus died for. This one is one that Jesus died for. That one is one that Jesus died for. That's the main thing about this one and that one and that one. And everything else falls in line underneath that. This is beginning to see people from a heavenly point of view. And it's something that people are begging for. It's something that we need to think of ourselves. Not based on behaviors or affiliations mostly, but based on the heart. You see, Jesus came not to heal the symptoms, but to heal the source. Jesus came to come and heal the source of our issues. Not mostly behaviors, not mostly affiliations, not mostly symptoms. He comes and he heals the source, he heals the heart because he understands that we don't need a different label, we don't need a bigger or badder label, we don't need new apparel with different labels, we need, need, we need a new identity. We need a new identity. Not a different label, a new identity, which is exactly what he came to do. Look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. There are new creations, new heart, new spirit put into them. The old is gone. The new has come. And new creation begins with this. God comes and he gives you a new heart. He puts his spirit in you. And he doesn't begin by changing all the symptoms. He begins by changing the heart. And we simply do this. Father, thank you. You would give your very son for me, even me with all of my shame, with all of my embarrassment, with all of my labels, with all of my sins, you'd get, yes, yes, even you. Well, thank you then, Father. 
Thank you. And I look up to the cross and I thank you, Jesus. And, and I, I say what you said about me, Jesus, right? I am a sinner. I have sinned in many, many ways and I admit it. And so I thought, Father, I simply admit that to you and I ask for your forgiveness and I turn from those. And he says, you are mine. You are my child. You are a child of God. You are welcome into my family. The old is past. The new has come. You are a new creation. It's just that. It's just that. And I don't know if you're new to church here today in this room or in the venue, but if you're new here to church, you came on the very best day, bud, because you can learn that you don't need to be defined by your labels that shame anymore, but by this, you are a child of God, bought with the price, the precious lamb, without blemish, Jesus Christ. You see? You see? This is what we're about here. This is what we're about here. We start with the heart, the source. And that's how we see ourselves, because Jesus is focused on the source. One woman uh, answered my question by saying, you know, Adrian, seven or eight years ago, if you would ask me that question, I would have told you my main label is I'm a doctor. Okay, that's a good label. And she's been a very successful doctor in the Denver area. Very, very successful. But about seven or eight years ago, she began coming to church for the very first time. And she heard the gospel message that I just shared with you for the very first time. And slowly but surely, she and her husband embraced that gospel message. And they became Christians as well. And now they are on fire for God, servants of Christ in the Denver area. And she's still a doctor, but she told me, that's not my main identity anymore. That is not my main identity anymore. My main identity is this. I am a follower of Christ, and being a doctor falls under that. And guess what? She's now a better doctor. You actually become a better whatever when you realize that that whatever falls underneath your main identity as follower of Christ. We have to order our identities. We have to order our labels, and who you are is way more important than what you do. Jesus comes to us, and he heals the source of, of our shame. He heals the source of our sin. Take a look at verse 21 in your scriptures or up on the screen. It says this, God made him who had no sin, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, to be sin for us. He came down, Jesus, that's him, he comes down and he is sin for us in order that through him we would become the righteousness of God. That's a big theological idea, but basically what it's saying is God substituted his son. He gave his righteousness for your unrighteousness. This is the exchange that he does. This is the basic gospel message. It can all be boiled down to the word exchange or the word substitution. He substitutes his righteousness for our unrighteousness, and that's all of us. His holiness for our unholiness. His goodness for our lack of goodness. He exchanges that. He gives us his goodness such that when the Father looks at you and me, he doesn't see our lack of goodness. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the goodness and righteousness and the perfection of Christ. And you just say yes to that. Now, if you're not exactly tracking well with that theological idea, maybe this, this next slide with these two lines will help you. And you can just write in on the side of your Bible a couple lines right next to it to, to remind you that this is what happens. God made him who was not a liar to take on your lies. Have you ever lied? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but I, I bet you have. God made him who had no bitterness. Have you ever been bitter? Again, you don't have to raise your hand. He took on your bitterness. What would it be in those lines for you? 
God made him who had no adultery. God made him who had no anger, no unrighteous anger, that is. He had clean anger, but he had no unrighteous anger. God made him who had no pride. God made him who was never greedy to take on these things which characterize us and to give us his righteousness in its stead, which leads to changed identity. Because you begin to realize this is how the Father in heaven sees me. He sees the beauty of Christ in me. And so that can change the way I even would see myself. Changes my identity. Now you ask, well, that's nice, Adrian. I've been a Christian for a long time. I, I know I have a changed identity. But man, I, I still really feel those labels. And I know just what you're talking about. Labels stick to us. And they have a hard time falling off, don't they? And it can take a long time, but eventually labels can fall, out, fall off. I thought of uh, the times that I throw my jeans into the washer and I leave a stick of gum in the pocket. Anyone ever do that? Okay. Susie's laughing because she's like, you do it all the time. <laughs> I put my jeans in the washer. Then they go in the dryer. Then they come out and I'm like, ooh, nice, clean, warm jeans. And they are warm and they are clean, but not quite. Like, they're clean, and I put them on, I still wear them, and I take that stick of gum out, but there's still this sticky residue inside, isn't there? And that's kind of the way it is. You're clean, but there's still this sticky residue left inside, and it's going to take a while to get rid of it. And so we still feel these labels. You might be saying, but Adrian, I don't want to be identified by the label single parent anymore. I'm tired of that label. I get that. I don't want to be labeled by addict anymore. I'm tired of that. I've been clean for a, a year. I get that. I don't want to be labeled criminal or legal just because I did one thing wrong. I get that. But please hear me. One of God's specialties is using your past to change someone else's future. One of God's specialties is taking a current area of weakness in your life to be an instrument for strength in someone else's future. And that's why I am unafraid to stand up here on the stage and regularly talk about my stuff. And I hope it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable that I talk about the fact that I stutter, as I did last week. I talked about that, okay? I hope it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, though, that I talk about the fact that my marriage has ups and downs, too. Or I talk from time to time about my character flaws. We won't get into all those this morning. I hope it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, but because the truth is I'm not uncomfortable by it for two reasons. Number one, I know that I am fully known and fully loved by God with all of my warts. I am fully known and fully loved by God. And number two, if God will use some of my past stuff to bring about future change for someone else, then bring it on. I, I pray that you also are with me in that. I pray that you also would move to that place that you say, whatever struggles I might face, if God would use these struggles to bring about something good in someone else's life, then bring it on. Because we are God's ambassadors. We are God's representatives. We are ministers of his reconciliation. 
And one of his primary ways to use ordinary people like all of us as ministers of reconciliation to others is taking our weaknesses or our previous labels to perhaps change someone else's future destiny. You get to be a part of that as a representative of God. It doesn't mean you have it all together now, not at all. It means that you're a thirsty person, but you know where to find water. And so you're able to lead someone else to the place to find water. It means that you found the cure of the very source that you needed, not just the symptoms. So you lead other people that need a cure at the source to the great physician. It means that we actually understand this. Far greater than our labels that shame us is this truth. We are fully known. Fully known by God. Whatever your warts are, he knows them all. And yet, fully loved. Wow. Completely loved. And therefore, totally sufficient in him. This is the love of the Father. I witnessed this in such a a glorious way a few weeks ago. Um, My wife's father passed away. And we went back to do her memorial. I had the honor of doing that memorial for a great, great man. And so, so many of you have been so awesome to Susie and our family. But uh, after the memorial, the next day, I had one of those life-changing conversations with my brother-in-law. It was just one of the most special conversations. We talked for hours. And um, I, I noticed that he was so deeply affected by our father-in-law's passing. He married in the family as well. And I said to him, I, I, I noticed you were really, really affected by this, and you were deeply moved on a number of occasions, and you've been broken down on a number of occasions, and can you tell me why that was? And I, I know about my brother-in-law that he lost his father at a young age, um, but he, he said this, he said, you know, Adrian, when I got engaged to uh, my wife, Susie's sister, Uh, Dad came down to Fresno, California, where we were living, and I asked for his permission to marry his daughter, and then I sat and listened to him for a couple hours, (laughs) and and then he said, yes, and then he said, you're my son, you're my son, and for the next 20 years, that's how he treated him, you're my son, and... uh, (laughs) And he said, there's something in all of us that so deeply wants to be fathered. And to know that I was loved when I hadn't done anything to earn that. He said, I can't tell you how powerful that was for me, Adrian. It's just a beautiful portrait of the love of our Father in heaven for us. That we haven't done anything to earn his love. And yet he calls us his son and his daughter. He loves us. I don't know exactly what uh, words you would use as you came in here today. Uh, You know, it could be the thief of comparison that you just constantly compare. Could be bitterness. Could be lust. It could be any number of different things. But we're going to give you an opportunity here today to take out a label that's in your handout. There's also labels in front of you in the seats. There's labels there in the venue as well. 
And I wonder if you would be bold enough to write down a word that maybe people use to describe you, people have used to disparage you, a word that you would use to describe yourself that, that you know isn't fundamentally true because you're now a child of God. And I wonder if you would just write that down and we're going to have a moment for us to respond together as a church. And, and after you write that word or two or three words down, you can just come up to one of these green buckets in the front of the room or there's also a few in the back of the room and you can drop those labels right where they belong. And if you don't know Jesus yet is your Savior, now's the time to know Jesus is your Savior. And it's simply this, to say it's true, I am a sinner and I do have shame and I ask you to forgive me. And I come before the cross and I ask for your righteousness. Will you bring me into your family? And he will every time. Say, so you are mine. I don't know what three words you would use to describe yourself as you come in this morning. But I do know the three words that God would use to describe you as you leave today. If you are in Christ, just three words, you are a child of God. So Father, I ask that you would drill these words into my friends. That through them you would heal not the symptoms, but the source. You wouldn't focus so much on our little branches that are broken, but you'd focus on our heart that needs healing from Jesus. We ask, God, that you would identify us with your crazy love, with the truth that we are fathered by God, that we have a good, good father who will never leave us or forsake us. Some of us didn't have a very good dad, but we have a great dad in you. And you love us with your liquid grace, even as you know us completely, yet you still love us. And for that, we are so grateful. So God, would you give us the courage right now, maybe even to write down uh, a label that we've been holding on to for too long. And give us the courage to come up as we respond in song and drop that in these trash cans or drop that at the foot of the cross. And would you remind us now of the truth of our firm identity in Jesus Christ, that through your good work, we are your children. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.